0: Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association or JOMA podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Minkin. I am a general pediatrician and proud JOMA member, and I'm really excited and honored to be here for a second time with Anna Sherman. Hi.
1: Hello. Good to be back.
0: So good to have you. Anna Sherman is a registered psychotherapist, maternal mental health practitioner, and clinical supervisor in Toronto. She works with individuals, couples, and families, as well as supervises qualifying therapists in their training. She helps her clients to heal and overcome trauma, fears, and emotional blocks in their lives and relationships by building skills and tools to help them help themselves. Anna loves working with new mothers and helping women to live empowered, authentic, and intentional lives. Anna holds a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and is specially trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, Emotionally focused therapy, EFT, the Gottman Method, maternal mental health, family systems theory, mindfulness, meditation, and psychodynamic therapy. Anna can be found at annasherman.com. That's S H E R M A N, annasherman.com.
1: It's AnnashermanRP.com.
0: Whoa, I knew that. Wait, AnnashermanRP.
1: <laughs> RP? RP? Registered, like psychotherapist? Registered, like registered psychotherapist?
0: Is that a Toronto thing?
1: Uh, I guess the term might be, okay. yeah. So Anna
0: Sherman, rp.com and on Instagram. So we're going to discuss a super, super important topic. It's been given different, different names. It's been called domestic violence, spouse abuse. And now I think the term that's used most often is intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. And super important, I'm going to ask you just to start by defining it.
1: Okay, so intimate partner violence is any kind of abuse within um, an intimate partner relationship. So um, there are many different forms of abuse, and then there are, and then an intimate partner relationship refers to somebody that um, you are either married to, partnered with, dating, living with, like living with as a, like an intimate partner, like um, a life partner, sexual partner. Right. A so boyfriend, you- uh, a bo- or you don't have to be with them. It could be a boyfriend, a girlfriend, somebody you're dating, or very possibly um, a spouse or a common law spouse.
0: Right. And what are those forms of abuse? Because, like you said, there's many, many forms.
1: Yeah. So there's I'm not
0: hitting me doesn't mean he's not being abusive. We're talking. No,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there, yeah, so, so there's the classic physical abuse, um, which actually doesn't doesn't always just mean. Um, violence like um physical abuse can be hitting punching throwing someone against the wall Uh, but it can also physical abuse can also be um defined as like blocking a doorway Mm -hmm. like if um your partner you know if, if you need to get out of you know that vicinity or that space or you need to clear your head and they're blocking the doorway so you can't get through that's actually considered physical abuse um and uh physical abuse can also be defined as like um, withholding food, uh, certain foods, uh, nutritional values, um, hiding somebody's medications um, to abuse them in that way, that could be considered physical abuse. So, yes, so physical abuse, there's all co- different kinds of forms of psychological abuse, uh, manipulation, gaslighting, which is a whole thing we can get to. Um,
0: yes, I definitely want you to really explain what gaslighting is. Because people use the term, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. So gaslighting is um, a type of abuse where the abuser is um, causing the victim to actually question their own sanity mm. in a situation and actually start believing that there's something wrong with them psychologically, that they're they're the ones who are um, like confused, maybe suffering from some sort of condition that they didn't know they had. Like that's the gaslighting is. Um manipulation is a form of psychological abuse, um, breaking someone down, like slowly breaking someone down, breaking down their, their complete sense of self, causing them to question who who they really are, who the people in their lives are, their friends, um, socially isolating them from everybody, like your family's bad, your friends are bad. Um, And over time with little, like little bits of like Whittling somebody's psyche away, you can cause the victim to actually believe that their family and their friends are all bad people, and like the only person that is there for them is this partner, is their abuser. Um, Stockholm syndrome
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, is another, you know, is kind of like what I just described, where like you're causing the victim to actually believe and identify with their captors. Um where like they could be kidnapped and then be psychologically manipulated to actually believe that like oh no, this is the the only the one and only person that actually cares about me and everybody else out there is just you know using me or or, or doesn't care about me or they're they're the ones neglecting me yeah. um so yes there there's sexual abuse, um, there is financial abuse, there's religious forms of abuse what what is religious forms of abuse? How does that look? Religious forms of abuse controlling um, controlling somebody's life through religion basically mm-hmm. um, uh, using religion to like disguising religion as a form uh, to a control uh, uh, yeah. Like disguising religion as a form of control. Like, like you, you, like, you know, I don't want you seeing your family because they're a bad influence on you because your parents are, you know, they don't keep Chalvi's role or they, they're not this or. Um,
0: it's not about the Chalvi's
1: um, What?
0: It's not about the Chalvi's role.
1: I don't know. No, 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 not at all. Or, you know, I, I don't want you leaving the house and going out to that party or something because there might be men there and they're looking at you or, there can be a lot of jealousy things. So like, you know, only dress like this and only wear like this kind of snoot or this kind of this, because, you know, it's because it's only because I'm protecting you from, you know, i haras or like, you know, I want you to be more sneeze when really, it's all about just controlling, you know, how the person is looking and dressing and not wanting anyone else to have, you know, too much to do with her, um, you know, I don't want you going out to that thing or that, because really you should be, you know, you should be staying in our home saying more to him, like to bring, you know, like, you know, like good, good, good intentions to our home. And like, that really would make me much more endeared to you if I saw that you would make the time to stay home and say more to him rather than going out to see a friend. Like, that's just a way of like creating more social I- isolation.
0: Does this happen to men as well? What is the breakdown? Sorry? What is the breakdown? I mean, my understanding is it is still primarily women.
1: It is mostly women. There is a certain percentage of um, abusers who are women, men that are victims. Um, I don't have the exact numbers right here, but we could definitely look them up. yeah and it, and it and it yeah it definitely happens in a different form like a different it doesn't it often doesn't look the same mm-hmm. but that absolutely exists like you know a very, you know there are there are women who hit their husbands there are women who um, you know psychologically manip- manipulate their husbands or partners um, for sure religious manipulation comes out
0: you know, the other way around, for sure.
1: Well, you know, like, custody battles, right? Yeah, you
0: know, yeah, yeah. That, that women are the, you know, are the more vulnerable, and that, you know, when we think of abuse as more physical, you would think it would be much more women are getting abused than men, but, like, once we realize that there's many forms of it, right, especially when it boils down to, like I said, the custody battles where a woman, you know, tends to have the upper, upper hand, usually, right so usually uh,
1: yeah yeah it depends on yeah honestly it depends on the like part of the world that they're in like like the system in Israel is very different than the system in the U.S. versus the system in Canada but yeah yeah generally you know the cases do side with the mother in custody battles but not always you know it really depends on the circumstances you know um her past behaviors you know, whatever kind of proof or witnesses or, you know, the state of the children's health or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there risk factors? I mean, it can happen to anyone. I always like whenever I'm talking about a topic to say it can happen to anyone, because I think one of our defense mechanisms is, well, I'm not this, so it won't happen to me. And then you just shut off.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yes, there are risk factors. So you're saying are, what are the risk factors of like the a victim?
0: The user, and what are the risk factors to be a victim of abuse?
1: Right. So, Victim of abuse, um, yeah. So it could actually happen to anyone, um, but the people more likely, let's say, to fall into a position where you know somebody might become a victim um, are is somebody who, let's say, they're in a position where their their emotional needs would like outweigh the concerns of like the the red flags that they're seeing like the red flags might be coming up um, and and they are areas of concern but the needs that are being met by the potential abuser are greater than the areas of concern so in other words like somebody who might already be starting out with a poor self sense of self low self-esteem low self-worth somebody who's kind of feeling, you know, very lonely, maybe somebody who's grown up not having their emotions ever really validated and they haven't really worked through that, you know, somebody who's just uncertain of their identity, somebody who feels powerless by, you know, um, you know, by what's going on around them, Um, somebody who struggles with codependency. So when they're with an abuser who really knows how to play the game, And that person is using all their tactics. Well, they might see, they might feel like, well, something feels a little off and something feels a little fishy. But you know what? When I'm with him, like I I suddenly feel special and I've never felt so special before. I don't feel lonely. I feel validated. Like he really cares about how I feel. He really cares about um, my needs and not wanting me to be alone. And, you know, my parents never seem to listen to that or they never seem to be concerned about my feelings or concerned about you know, um, my friends who are hurting my feelings and but he he is so even though he's a little possessive and jealous, he's so good for me in so many other ways. Whereas somebody who is aware of those struggles that they're already having, and is working through them on their own in therapy would be less likely to dismiss all the other red flags. Right, because is, they would know that this is a deficit in themselves.
0: Right. This is an advertisement for therapy right here. <laughs>
1: there you go everybody <laughs> send me an
0: email <laughs> right because this podcast is meant for prevention right to right. focus on things we can change not just talk about you know problems you know after they're happening you can't necessarily avoid a situation and i want to you know this is a good segue to talk about what those red flags you mentioned before are but just like it can happen to anyone you know you could not just be not missing red flags it's possible that they really weren't Apparent. Right. But it's not like people start out relationships jealous and possessive. Right. Right. So I'm going to ask right. you. No, that red flags. <laughs>
1: so
0: people, I, that I want you to discuss the red flags, please, so people can be aware of what they are with the caveat that don't sit there with the checkbox going, okay, he's not doing this. He's not doing this. It, you know, right. it's more complicated than that.
1: Right. Okay. So red flags in, let's say, the dating period are very different than what you're going to see at like the beginning of a marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. Because somebody who is an abuser and is playing the game and like, and you know, don't get me wrong. Abusers, you know, they don't believe that they're set out, that they're setting out to go and abuse somebody. What, what they're, what they're doing, it's not a mission that they're on to abuse somebody. It's a mission that they also want their needs to be fulfilled. Right. And so like a narcissist truly believes that what he or she is doing is right. And they're just, you know, going and trying to find happiness. And they believe that what they're manipulating their partner or their victim to, to do is, is the right thing. Like they really believe that the, you know, that they deserve their partner all for themselves, whether it's healthy or, or really sick, this is what they believe. So when a, so when an abuser goes out to find a partner who essentially becomes a victim, they know that if they, that if they lay out their expectations on the table right away, that this is like a no-go, right? That like, they're going to look like, you know, an abuser and all this is going to be unreasonable and, and, you know, and the the person's going to run for the hills. So when they start out, it's like, well, how the question is like, how can I win this person over? Like, how can I win this girl over so that essentially she'll become mine? Then once she's mine, we can, we can get started on real life, which is that I control everything she does, where she goes, who she talks to, what she wears, what she thinks, what she watches.
0: It's It's like a grooming phase.
1: Yeah. 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 So in the, in the dating phase, a lot of times dating an abuser can actually be amazing. Because, especially if you start out, you know, um, as somebody who really wants to connect and really needs that emotional um, fulfillment and attention, so dating an abuser can be amazing because they're constantly trying to win you over. So they can be, you know, constant complimenting, very, very attentive to what you're saying, remembering what you're saying. um you know, calling you every day, like, you know, like these guys that are these wishy-washy guys that are like, oh, maybe I'll call you, maybe I won't. Like, abusers are not like that. Like, when they say they're going to call, they call. They send flowers. They they try and win over your, you know, your family, sometimes your friends, um, you know, a lot of, like, whining and dining at the beginning, and they can make you feel very, very special. Um, but what also happens is that the abuse can sort of leak out in this in like disguised ways so in other words let's say you get to the point where like okay we're we've been dating for three months six months i really want you to meet my friends like i want to see what like how you get along with my friends and okay yeah i'll meet your friends but you know let's just like meet them for like while we're out we'll just run into them for coffee and then like that that'll be it Um, and let's say, you know, she wants more time, like integrated, like her boyfriend with her friends and his response is like, you know, I really just, our time together, I just think it's so precious and so sacred. Let's just keep our time just for us. Like, I don't think we should like, you know, waste our time spending it with our friends. Like, you know, you're so special to me. Like, let's not have friends around. That's like a pretty good sign,
0: (laughs) but like isolation, right? At that point,
1: isolation and also just complete rejection of, her life and everything that makes up who she is.
0: I mean, would you, you see, I mean? say that she likes something and he doesn't, that there would be signs that that would be an issue?
1: No, they don't always have to like the same things, but it's like her friends are a part of who she is and he's trying to break her down to be who he wants her to be, mm-hmm. not who she actually is.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh-huh.
1: And, have, yeah, what,
0: I'm just wondering if you would see it in other ways other than the social
1: For sure. Um, So there's lots of other ways. So like, one, one, like, really popular common, let's say common red flag would be like, lack of awareness for the victim's needs. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're a girl dating a guy who's potentially an abuser. And, you know, and you're saying, like, it's really important that you pick me like if you're going to pick me up from work today it's really important that you come right at five o'clock because after that everybody leaves the building i can't stay in the building i'm gonna to have to wait outside it's gonna be cold it's dangerous in that area please pick me up on time i know you have a tendency to be late please pick me up on time sure sure i promise i promise i promise and he doesn't come until like five thirty, 30
0: mm-hmm.
1: right because really he he actually doesn't care about her needs her feelings or anything but he comes and then he says and then she's like all upset you were late and I told you that's really important that I, you know you pick me up on time I'm like this is really important to me you didn't respect it. And he says oh I know I know I know honey but like you know you know I just you know I had a long day at work too and I you know I just I had to grab a sack but you know what I'm taking you out to Limare. And after that, you know, I'm going to buy you flowers or, or like he shows up with. So, like, in other words, it's always on his terms. So he might make her feel really, really special and take her out to an expensive dinner. But were her needs actually respected, heard, validated? Totally not. Right. And that can happen. That comes up again and again and again. And that's just a sign that, like, he doesn't care about how her feelings or her needs that will, like, would be way more magnified in the marriage. If the sense of turning into a marriage, it'll be way more magnified in the marriage. The only difference is in the courtship stage, he's doing all these other special things to win her over. So it's very, so it's very easy to get like blindsided, like for the victim, it's very easy to get blindsided by the fact like, well, yeah, he didn't really listen to me, but look at all these other special things that he did.
0: Right. I mean, I can see this easily being missed in a short dating, you know? Yeah. In our crowds where they often date for short periods of time, you know, you may have only a few dates, right? Yeah. In some circles and get married. And so it's not hard to give the impression, right. Of being really caring and concerned. I want to give a plug again. I did this in our other talk, but I'm going to do it again. (laughs) um, Marrying well. And, you know, now we're doing this topic. Um, Ricky Feldman has a podcast called Isha and she did the red flags of, of um, abuse in dating. And so, that is a much more extensive um, discussion of this topic. The red flags of dating. I don't know if you have anything to add before you want to move on to. So now you're in the you're actually in a marriage.
1: So there's lots. I, let me just add a few more red flags because there actually are a lot. Okay. So lack of compromise is a big one. So mm-hmm. you know, again, this is this is like you know typical character trait of narcissists or 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 abusers. Um, but, again, it can be very well disguised in the dating period. But, yeah, very, well, like, lack of compromise, like, what they're going to do on the date. Like, she wants to go ice skating. He wants to go bowling. He'll manipulate it in a way you know, to make sure that they're going bowling. Mm-hmm. But he'll make it, like, oh, but, you know, it's because I'm taking you to this great place at the bowling. No, 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 whatever.
0: Great- um,
1: subtle control. <laughs> what?
0: It's near a great restaurant.
1: Yeah, well, something like that. But, in other words, she's never getting, like, her – you know, her request, it's always like a lack of compromise. There's, there are, there are many ways to, um, subtly control. So in other words, subtle control, like, Oh, you look really nice in it. But you know what, you know, remember what you wore last night, you looked way better with the shorter skirt. Mm. You know, like I, I loved it. Like when I picked you up last night, I was like, Whoa, I can't believe I'm dating this girl tonight. I'm like, yeah, she's cute. But you know, last night was like really hot. That's like a subtle.
0: Telling her what. right.
1: Yep. Telling her what to wear or how maybe how she acted out with friends or whatever, you know, like, you know, I know you want to sound smart and everything, but you don't want to, like, overdo it, you know, because, like, you know, then, then people might think that, you know, you're, you're kind of bragging about your job at the law firm or something like that's subtle control, something like that. Guilt tripping is a big one. Like well, I know you had to work late, you know, but, you know, you told me that, you know, blah, 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 we were going to X, Y, Z tonight. And, you know, well, I had to wait, you know, if I had to wait for you, I wasn't too happy about that. Mm. Again, subtle, <laughs> subtle, right. but like guilt tripping, uh, coercive or pressuring behavior. Um, yeah, well like, yeah, well like, I know you have to, I know you have to work, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought, like, course of a pressurizing behavior, yeah, I know you have to work late, but, you know, I, I really, you know, I really, really, really want to see you, come on, let's just go out after, we don't have to get dinner, I know you'll be tired, but come on, like, you can't, you can't abandon me, like, tonight, like, I really, really want to, want to see you, you're gonna leave me alone, I'm like, yeah, she's too tired, um, <laughs> uh, Confrontational attitude, just being co- confrontational to anybody. Like, watch how he is with waiters in the restaurant, with guys and guys at work, people at work, coworkers, neighbors, um, anything you name it. Confrontational attitude. That is a very sorry. That is a very big red flag. Um, unreasonable expectations of what they deserve. Again, it's not just with you, but it could be with anybody. Um, somebody who's always like feeling like a victim, like feeling like the world is against them, like talking about things that work well, this my coworker, this, and my boss, this, and they're always trying to get me in trouble. And they're always this, and they're always that. And, you know, my buddy Shimon, like he's always trying to make me look bad, you know, like he's my friend, but I don't really trust him, stuff like that. Um, When they deny their behavior, you know, like, trying to tell like she's trying to tell him you know that really bothers me when you did it I'm only saying it for your own good you know like I I didn't really say I wasn't really putting you down I wasn't this I wasn't that like don't 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 make me look bad what are you trying to make me look bad like why are you doing that to me denying their own behavior lack of trust in you well when you go to that work party are there going to be men there like are you going to talk to them like well how much are you going to talk to any of them like you Uh, We already talked about lack of respect for feelings, sarcastic comments downplayed, played as jokes could be a red flag, extreme jealousy of who or like who or who you spend your time with or, you know, time with your friends, time with your family, other men or women, that can be a red flag. Giving someone the silent treatment could be a red flag. Uh, (coughs) Lying comes up all the time, that's a red flag. Gaslighting, we talked about, Um, cruelty towards others. They might be really, really nice to you, but like really not nice to other people, really cruel towards other people, that's a really big red flag. Um, Constantly interrogating about your whereabouts. Well, where were you? I tried calling your cell phone and you didn't answer. Tell me, are you lying to me? Where were you? Where are you gonna be tomorrow? Um, Sabotaging your friendships, that's another part of social isolation. Breaking boundaries, that's a really, really, really big one, which I think we should come back to, because that's one that comes up all the time in the from community.
0: Maybe we should do that now, then.
1: (coughs) Okay, fine. Um, Yeah, well, the other ones are basically in the same family. So,
0: (laughs) A A lot of these things, by the way, are things that you just may not see till you're already married.
1: A lot of them. Right. But a lot of these actually, what I just mentioned here, they do come up in the courtship, but they're very subtle and they're very easy to write off as something else.
0: Right. I mean, unfortunately, as we talked about in marrying well, for a lot of young women, they're under tremendous pressure. Right. Worried, sometimes just to get a date. Right. So exactly. hard for them, especially if their mother is what's wrong, he's such a nice guy. I mean, you know, the parents aren't necessarily going to be seeing this. They can do all the research they want and not pick up any of this.
1: Right. Okay, so breaking boundaries is a big one that I see come up all the time in the from community because within our religious circles, there are many different forms of, let's say, religious preference, right? So, like, big one. Like, let's say you're modern orthodox and you're dating – let's say you're a modern orthodox girl and you're looking to date and get married to a modern orthodox guy, but like maybe you don't have like all the same views on everything. So let's say you want to be Shomer and he says he's Shomer but maybe in the past he hasn't always been totally Shomer and you go out. So somebody who respects boundaries, understands boundaries, respects you, cares about your feelings, your needs, you know, your commitments, if it, be, if it comes up, it can be a discussion. Mm-hmm. And if a couple decides, yeah, you know what, we're both kind of like not fully show more like, okay, you know, when we're ready, we're ready. But if she says like, no, I'm committed to it, then he should be, then if he really likes her, then he needs to be committed to that too, within the relationship. But if, but if you find like, he starts pushing that boundary and saying, well, I'm not, and you know, I wasn't, and you know, it's not a big deal if we just hold hands and like, it's not a big deal if we just this and that and the other, and she's feeling horrible about it. And she makes it clear, like, this is not what I want. This is not what I want for a relationship. And he's just like, yeah, but you know, I, you know, like we're, we're already dating for three months and you're, you know, I'm so drawn to you and this and that, this, that, the other, and I can't help myself. And I'm a man. And you don't understand how men work and the hormones that's a big red flag and and i know it sounds horrible but i've seen it happen all the time with young young couples who are dating and they sort of get pushed into things that they're they're not okay with but you know it's all very subtle and it can be very manipulative so that's a boundary that can be pushed something else you know it could even just be like a place you know like where you might be going on a date like this feels a little bit too isolated like you know like what about you said like we're totally alone and it's at night and like i'm not really okay with it don't worry i've taken dates here before like just get over it we'll be fine nothing's gonna happen and like maybe you're not okay with that um boundaries like that like boundaries for like if the two of you are fine with the situation, like that's not a boundary violation. But if one of you is really not okay with the situation and the other one's not respecting it, that's a boundary violation.
0: Right, 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 right. And I think the message there is is to to listen, right? To how you're feeling and, right. and, and pay attention. You have a chance to not get caught in this trap.
1: But it's also like what what a lot of young people don't realize is that, You're not doing yourselves, you're not doing anyone any favors by pushing a boundary with somebody who you're dating. Because if you're you're dating, essentially you're looking to get to know somebody that you're interested in marrying. Well, if you're pushing somebody into doing something that they're not interested in, you're getting a very uncomfortable person on a date if they're trying to make themselves morph themselves into the person that you want them to be, you're not getting the authentic person that you're at, you know, that that's in front of you. You're getting an uncomfortable person who you're trying to like push around and manipulate. Like why do you want to be in a relationship with somebody who's not truly being themselves? You can't marry somebody and then try and turn them into somebody that they're not. So mm-hmm. basically you're just, you're cheating yourself out of a, authentic relationship, you're cheating that your partner out of a your date out of an authentic relationship. You're not doing anyone any favors. If you really want to get to know this person and decide if this is the person for you, get to know them for who they are. They value Shomer Nagya, we'll get to know them, you know, in a Shomer way because that's who they are. And if you want to marry that person, well you're gonna to have to wait till the wedding because that's who this person is. And if you don't want to do that, this is not the person for you.
0: Right, right. And if you're having trouble listening to that inner voice, then back to the therapy, I think. Right? I mean, because yeah. unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of women who, young women who do have, you know, self-esteem issues or they're just not in tune with that inner voice. Right. Or they have that confidence to say, this is, this is wrong for me. Right. So say you, unfortunately, are already in this situation, because it would be great if we could prevent this from happening, but clearly we can't.
1: <laughs> okay. Hands. So you're already married. Okay, so here's the thing. So a lot of times what happens in these circumstances what I just described that's like how it looks in a courtship situation. Once you're married, the the um, the rose-colored glasses come off, right? Because when you're dating, everybody sees everything with rose-colored glasses and, you know, and everything is forgivable and like things can very easily be overlooked or just sort of like swept, swept under the rug. Once you're married, the rose-colored glasses come off. You no longer see everything in such a positive light. And not only that, but the mask comes off. Mm. So the abuser is no longer whining and dining you because now you are you belong to him or
0: her. You're required.
1: Yeah. So all the true colors come out. Like, literally, some, sometimes it's like the, the night of the wedding, like after the wedding, the wedding night. Sometimes it's mm. like, yeah. Yeah. It, sometimes it can be like Jekyll and Hyde. Very traumatic. Sometimes it's the next day. Sometimes it's you know after Shabbat you go home and like oh hello, uh, what what did I just sign up for? <laughs> so basically all the forms of abuse that I just described they they can come out then like after the wedding but like way way more magnified. So suddenly it's like we're not seeing your family. Like why would we want to see your family? They're a bad influence on you. Um, Um, your friends are toxic people or just setting things up in a way where like, you're not, there's just never any time to see friends or guilt tripping, like the guilt tripping I mentioned, but now it's like all the time, like what you're going to go out with your friends and just leave me here all alone. Like you don't care about me. Um, uh, inquiring about like what kind of things you're telling your friends are you telling your friends i'm a bad husband um, well i don't want them knowing were you talking about me like i don't want them knowing you know what goes on our, our life is private so i don't want you talking to your friends because of this um the religious manipulation the the psychological abuse the gaslighting then it can really really set in and um
0: I'm guessing, I'm guessing that it's not always like this. I'm guessing that some of the time it is more, you know, of an extreme transition and other times it happens later or is more subtle.
1: Sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes it can happen like very slowly over time. um, But you can still know that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And then other times it can happen like very slowly where like there are subtle things that may not feel right. Or you're just kind of always feeling like you're sacrificing things that are important to you, but like, you want to be, you're newly married and you want to make everybody happy. You want to, you know, so you're just like, Oh, fine. I'll give it up for the sake of him and my marriage or whatever. So I'll just give it up because he wants it that way. Even though like, I feel like I'm sacrificing this and I'm sacrificing that. Um, And then it can slowly just break, break you down. Little by little over time just slowly whittle away, whittle, little, little, whittle away. Um, And abuse can't, yeah. And abuse can work that way slowly over time. One, one of the things that like, is like a good way to sort of identify whether this is going in like a negative direction is if things are happening where, yes, you definitely feel like this is not okay, but like you want to work it out and then he'll apologize or she'll apologize, but take no responsibility for what they did. And have like no plan or goal on how to like avoid that in the future, how to prevent that from happening in the future. So just like, I'm sorry, I love you. Let's make up, I'll bring flowers or I'll buy you a gift or this at the other love bombing, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you hear like, you know, let's, I'm going to try and, you know, I want to speak to somebody so that doesn't happen again, or I promise I'm never going to do that again, or I'm never going to lie to you again. Um, then like there's, You know, there's really no responsibility taken, no recognition for what happened, no plan going forward. And then it can just keep happening again and again until it's it could be something that you get used to. It could be something that you're just like, I mean, I've seen some women come to me to say, well, this is just something I had to get used to because this is who my husband is. And, you know, this is just the way my life is going.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, then, the classic question is, well, why just not leave? I mean, everybody always says that. Why just not leave? And that's to me a more obvious question if it's such a, you know, strong transition, and I could understand how somebody would get gradually worn down or what happened so subtly, you know, and their self esteem would be worn down further, but in something that is you know um more extreme, why would they not leave
1: so so sometimes um you know there are, well there are many reasons why victims stay um sometimes if it's a subtle you know, psychological breakdown, they, they've they been gaslighted and manipulated enough that they truly believe that they are the ones with the problem and if they were better or they didn't listen, or they lit. sorry, if they listened better, or they tried harder, or they tried, you know, they, they were, you know, a more devoted wife or made a better supper or didn't, you know, didn't get tired, didn't lose their temper, then, you know, their husband wouldn't have to punish them all the time that they, you know, that their husband would be happy with them. Like, why don't you know, if I if I if I wasn't a bad wife, and I could just pull it together more everything would be fine. So they don't leave because they truly believe that something is wrong with them and no one else is going to want them anyways, because that's often what they're led to believe. Um, So that's one reason very often. And I hate, I hate to say this because it's so sad and so tragic, but very often they don't have a whole lot to go back to. Like a lot of, a lot of these girls, you know, or young women feel like, you know, my family isn't really interested in, in having me come back because they, they'll think that I failed. Mm -hmm. at being a good wife and you know if you're not clear on you know what was what the abuse was or it's very hard to explain it or a lot of times families and parents you know don't want to hear that their daughter has been mistreated or abused or they really feel like you know marriage is forever and you got to stick it out a lot of times they're not very validating to their daughter that's just been through um you know, an abusive experience, or the, or is stuck in an abusive marriage, unless it's like outright, like you know, physical beating and locking them out of the house. And um, when there's subtle things like gaslighting and manipulation and social isolation, a lot of times families don't have a very easy time recognizing that, and they'll just kind of turn their backs and say, "Try harder." Mm-hmm. And so, if a young girl who's you know who's married, or she's married for a few years, and this is what's she knows this is what's happening, but she doesn't have much to go back to. She'll just stay because it's better than nothing.
0: When you say do not have much to go back to. Um, I don't know what the statistics are, but I, I know there is an increased incidence of this, both in the abusers and the abused of being, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional home, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. So that, so if you're looking at like risk factors for becoming an abuser, that's one of the main risk factors is that an abuser often grew up in an abusive environment. And this is what he or she saw.
0: Right, but you mentioned right. dependent before. And when you say also that people who are abused may also have yes. grown up with witnessing those patterns. Yes, right. that too. Yeah. Right. So that can make it harder if your family, that's what's normal to them.
1: Yes, yeah. Like, there's like a famous story. Many of the listeners have probably heard it, but like, this is a true story where like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, Young couple, young religious couple got married. Everything seemed fine, and then they were at I think their last shabbat breakfast, and it was at his uh, parents' home, I think, in his community. And there were lots of guests there, and it was a Friday night. It was Shabbos, and they were sitting at the shabbat breakfast. And the Kala looks up, and all of a sudden she sees her brand new in-laws standing. Um, at the end of the table and she sees her father-in-law slap her mother-in-law in the face. Wow. And she, and she looks over to her husband and she says, your father just slapped your mother. And he said, Oh, well, she forgot the milk in his coffee.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh, wow.
1: So she took off the ring and she gave it back to him and she walked out. And that was the end of the marriage. Good story. Yeah. True story.
0: Wow. But it, you know, it usually isn't obvious like that, right? I mean, that's, And it's it's
1: usually not, but like, that's an example of like this boy, probably, you know, if she'd stayed with him, he probably would have ended up doing the same thing to her because that's really all he knew. And he seemed, seemed to think it was normal.
0: So what, what would you tell someone who was already, you know, I mean, obviously someone who's seen the red flags of dating should get away. (laughs) It's very straightforward, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But someone who's already in the relationship, what should they do?
1: If they're married, you're saying? Mm -hmm. Right. So... I mean, okay, so first of all, it depends, you know, what what the circumstances are if there if if this is something where like there are definitely things that are going wrong and one person is an abuser, but they're willing to get help and you can go, you know, for couples therapy and they're actually willing to get help and make some changes, which which happens, you know, because sometimes abusers are able to recognize like I grew up in a really messed up family and I don't know how to how to behave, like I'm really I'm really at a loss. Like, I want to get help. Like, I really, really see my problems. I just saw a couple the other day who were like saying this. Like, he's like, I you know, I'm not comfortable with emotion. I'm not comfortable, you know, he's going for his own therapy and he's very open to it. Some cases are like that where like the couple can get help and they can um, you know, they can go together and they can each go separately on their own and really learn like why these patterns are so toxic and unhealthy, how to get into better patterns, better communication. Um, that's one option, but (laughs) very often if, you know, if you're dealing with an abuser who has, um, a personality disorder, then that can't really be helped in therapy because the abuser truly believes that they are not, the ones that need help. There's nothing wrong with them. They've done nothing wrong. And the therapy is really all for their faulty spouse.
0: We didn't even really get into mental health of the abuser. Right. Yeah. What would you, what would, what is the spectrum of what you see with that? I mean, you mentioned personality disorders, not every abuser has a personality disorder.
1: No, but many, 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 many are narcissists and um, narcissism has very repetitive patterns. I, I like In all my years of practice, like when I can spot a narcissist, it's like it's like by the book. And it's like the the signs and symptoms are so classic. I remember saying to my colleague the other day who was we were reviewing a case together, you know, of a narcissist. And I just said, like, what is the deal? Do these people go to like a school that I don't know about, like narcissist school, because they all know how to do the same exact same things like exactly like I could write a book and it's like one personality in many different people they all do the exact same things uh, that's narcissism and very often abusers are narcissists and they all know how to gaslight they all know how to manipulate they all know how to um they're like really good liars a lot of them like really like believable liars <laughs> Um, and they truly believe in what they're doing. They truly believe that they, you know, they're the ones that they deserve this. They don't have the problems. They love bomb. Um, they manipulate. They um, they don't take responsibility. It's, they really truly believe it's all about that. So going to therapists with a narcissist um, generally isn't going to work. The so, you know, if you're in a, an abusive relationship with a narcissist, then, you know, usually you know, and you're being abused, usually the best option is to leave.
0: So when you talk about being able to work through a therapy, you're not talking about someone in that category in general, right? That's not particularly malleable. Would you say that's true?
1: Generally? Yeah, generally not. Listen, there are narcissists, there are narcissists who have recognized their problems, have Mm. gotten help and have um, really recovered well. Not not the majority, but yeah. it, it has happened. <laughs> it okay. has happened, but don't hold out hope.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's important to have you know to be reasonable with your expectations, right? You don't want to be in a situation where you're told you didn't work it out, you didn't work hard enough on your marriage, you didn't go to enough therapy, you didn't go to the right therapist, right?
1: Um. Yeah, and I and I also have a problem with that because um I've seen I've seen couples go to like. Seven different therapists because very often the abuser will will um, reject the therapist say oh that therapist she didn't know what she was talking about or he's a this or he's a narcissist himself or like he's just you know or she's a she's a man hater you know we should we should or you know like I've had I had a couple coming to me where he was a clear clear narcissist and and I was calling him out on all his stuff um, and. And then, you know, eventually she came to me for her own session and she said to Paul, you know, like my husband, um, you know, he's just feeling like the therapeutic relationship might not be working. Like he said, like, maybe it's because you're a woman and that's why you're calling him out on his stuff. And I was like, nope. Um, My male colleagues would have the same response. And she was like, OK, but then he said maybe it's also because you're religious and, you know, we're Jewish, but we're not religious. And I was like. Yeah. Nope. Also, not correct. <laughs> like you just coming up with like pulling stuff out of his ears, and, and and she's like, "Well, maybe you could refer us to somebody like a man who's not religious." So I said, "Sure, sure, I could, but you're going to get the same answers." But I'm happy to refer you on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, which is why it's so important to get dragged into the mud on this, right? It's one thing to say you're trying to yeah,
1: work it out. But yeah, they'll drag it out. Like They'll go, they'll, they'll go through years of therapists hearing the exact same thing from every therapist and just not being happy with, the, with every single one of them. Go figure.
0: And by the way, it's a whole other topic, what happens once there are kids, which we are not going to touch in this talk, um, but right. to be it, a future talk. Uh, yes. Yeah. Really, yes. As a pediatrician, this is where it's hitting my fields, what I see to the children who are dragged in the middle of this. Yes. yes.
1: And it's very scary and very sad.
0: It really is. The children are, uh, you know, a football and a tug of war. Now that's mixing metaphors, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, pawns. they become pawns and it's, it's, it's really horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's worthy of a talk, you know, in and of itself. Yes. Um, but say it's not just a narcissist, right? There must be subcategories of people who have untreated mental health disorders that if they get treated, things get better. I'm just looking for, for, you know, categories where you might sometimes. have realistic expectations. Yeah,
1: Sometimes, sometimes um, it did. Yeah. Sometimes it really, it did. Okay, again. So personality disorders are like their own separate category um, because they're just very, very hard to work with. Mm. But like, you know, there are also people who struggle with bipolar and sometimes and, you know, there are so many different levels and types of bipolar. So sometimes you can really work with somebody. Sometimes sometimes somebody who's bipolar can be on the right medication and you would never know it. Like they're totally functional. Um, they're you know, they make wonderful partners, wonderful parents and, you know, and they have great jobs and they. Wonderful careers, and then when they're off their medications, they're, you know, they're either um, in their manic state, scary, scary to everyone around them, or they're severely depressed. Like, you don't see them, they're in their bedroom for months at a time, not functional. Some people are like that. Others, Others can't seem to find the balance. Some are just never stable. Some get worse over time. Um, You know, some some couples start out like really like, you know, lovely, you know, um, very balanced, good communication, good marriages. And over time, one one of them who has an underlying condition comes out, gets worse and worse or something triggers it, gets worse over time. And after 20 years, they end up divorcing because now this person is living with a sick person. Mm. who has become an abuser, but it's because the mental illness has taken over. And that is a very sad mm. case when that happens, but not always something we can do anything about. Yeah.
0: And I think that's also very important to say that just because your your partner is sick doesn't mean that you should tolerate abuse. It sounds so odd. Oh,
1: exactly. Exactly. And I think it is
0: because I think people can say, but they're sick, but just get them help and then things will get better. And I've you know heard some really terrible stories where it took like you said decades for you know one person to realize this is my life,
1: yeah, and sometimes it's just it's acceptance, sometimes it's just acceptance of saying like you know what I, I i did i used i did love her, I still love her, but I can't be married to her, you know she's just become too ill,,
0: right.
1: and she needs to be helped in another way, not by a husband or not by a wife and I've seen many cases of like that I and mean, the hardest ones are when it's the husband who's, well, I don't want to say the hardest, but one of, one of the, the most complicated cases is like when it's the husband who has become ill over time mm-hmm. and she loves him. So she stays with him as abusive as he may be. And she stays with him. And then he's become so ill, mentally ill, that giving a get is now very questionable because it's he, is, does he have the sanity to give the, get? and yeah, I can tell you all about that, um, about how complicated those cases get, but it's now like if he, if you can actually push him to give the get, is it like, is it valid? Because how, how much it, does he understand? Right. And those, those can take years.
0: Heartbreaking. That's really, really heartbreaking. And I think the same could be said for substance abuse.
1: Yes. 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 And that's, okay. and yeah, that's another really complicated one if you're married to an addict or somebody who becomes an addict, you know, they may have started out with like maybe let's say an addictive personality, but they never, but they didn't have an addiction. And then, like, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, all of a sudden, money stresses, kids stresses, family stresses, whatever it is. And they've now become dependent on alcohol or marijuana. And, like, this is affecting their lives. It's still the same person you married. Like, you love him. And, like, you married him. When you married him, it was all great and everything. But he has now developed an addiction. Well, now he has a choice. Does he want to go for recovery? Does he want to go to rehab? Or is he just going to be stuck in this addiction? And, which can cause all kinds of complications, neglect, abuse, dangerous behavior. It can go either way. Sometimes they get into rehab and the couple comes out stronger in the end. Sometimes they end up getting divorced because they have to.
0: Right. So what would you recommend at this point? So we've gone through and now somebody's married and they've tried, you know, the first level, they've tried to work on the marriage and it has failed.
1: Right.
0: So I want to give people resources, too. I always want to end. Yeah, really, really serious.
1: Okay, So if you're at the point where let's say, um, okay, so let's take, for example, a woman who knows that she is in a a dangerous, abusive situation with um, somebody where it's not going to get better. It's it's only going to get worse and it could actually potentially be dangerous for her children. So now she needs to um, make an exit plan um, with, with somebody who's going to help her. So there are, there are, so first of all, there's shell and task force. There's many forms of support that she can get. Um, but she has to be careful to keep things, um, like anonymous with like within the home. So delete all, you know, uh, call records. Like you never know, like delete all emails, have, have a secret separate email account with a password that, um, your husband's never going to figure out. Cause you just never know. A lot of times users, you know, they hack into email accounts. They um, they hack into your phone. They'll do anything to, like, figure out what's going on. So um, so to structure some sort of um, exit plan, escape plan, you know, it could be you it could be there could be children involved. So you need to sort of get help from a, like a social worker, a therapist, um, Shulham task force. Jewish Family and Child Services here in, in Toronto in Ontario um, does have a women abuse program where they will help women um, form exit plans. And I'm sure there are other um, organizations within the New York area, the greater New York. The
0: general organization is, I can't remember what the name of it is, I don't even remember, but it's, it's a very simple website. It's thehotline.org. So that's not an yeah. organization, but it's it's a big organization. I think it might be the National Domestic Violence something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably have that. Um,
0: Americans, sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyways, but so in Canada.
0: It's a great resource.
1: Yeah. So yeah, so in Canada, we have a few um, like Jewish Family and Child and then um, and then Sheldon Task Force. Is, you know, have a hotline of their own and they can sort of help you get into the right, get to the right contacts and, um, and the right the right resources to help you form a plan. And like when you form an exit plan, like that's really done between you and your caseworker in terms of like what day you're going to leave, um, where you're going to go to, how you're going to keep it all anonymous, um, how you're going to do it without him finding you and then like, you know, how are you going to reason with him, in terms of like you know, not stalking you or finding you or demanding you know, or just in a safe way. And it can be sometimes it can be complicated, sometimes it can be less complicated. It really depends on your on your circumstance, but it's just important that um, yeah that you that you do with the proper help. Um, sometimes there are friends, family, neighbors who are aware of what's going on and they don't necessarily know what to do. Um, And different people will have a different capacity of how much they're able to lend a hand. Sometimes people are willing to actually have victims come and stay with them in their home and they're, they're all set up for that. They're okay with it. Sometimes they don't feel safe, but they are willing to help um, with other things like taking the kids or financially or helping the victim find a place to actually find an apartment or building or a house or some, somewhere for them to go live um, either temporary or, or, or permanent. Um, But in one of the, one of the most important things, if you're concerned about a friend or a family member um, who is a victim of domestic violence and you want to help her, him or her get, and their children get to um, safety is, that you provide a constant source of support because one of the main reasons why victims of domestic violence won't leave is because of lack of support. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, just, just this sort of like unknown abyss of like, if I leave, I'll be on the street or I will, I'll be, we could be homeless. There will be nowhere to go. There will be no one to talk to. Uh, you know, what will people think of me? And when they're surrounded by other people who are constantly lending that supportive hand, constantly an ear to listen to what's going on, uh, and they, they can form like their own supportive community of where they can go afterwards and, and be supported and encouraged and, and basically held up for you know that recovery time. That is way that makes it like way more encouraging and easier to get them and their children out of um, a dangerous and abusive situation because they know that they won't be alone and that they won't be judged for what's happening.
0: Right. And that's important, of course, the board, not just for someone who's in a dangerous relationship, you know, physically dangerous, right. Who's right. Know, life right now or their children's lives, but in any abusive relationship, you know, I think the the most difficult thing is when you feel like you're all alone. Like that's part of the process that we talked about before the control the isolation and, and the remedy, right. Is to be able to have the support. So you're not alone. And so if I asked you the question, you already answered is how can you support someone who's going through this, right, is to be there for them. Right. Right, just to be there for them. So I'm going to end here because we have much more to talk about. And you mentioned yeah. you mentioned Yael, the divorce specialist on Instagram, and we are planning Hashem, to do um, another segment of this, um, talking not about um, intimate partner violence, but about um the divorce process and um doing it in a way that is healthy as yes. opposed to dysfunctional.
1: So. Yes. And and that's and actually so just to before we end, just to point out, I think that's also a perfect example of what I'm just saying in terms of like support and community is that what Yael and her teammates <laughs> have formed now, you know, around the, the whole free chav and the agunah movement is um a constant source of support for women who need to leave abusive marriages and are fighting for, for their guests. And that they are completely supported. They're not alone that Yael is there to support men and women who are going through the di- divorce process. Um, that look at everything that Dalia Oziel has done on Instagram and social media and all, all the women that are on their team um, that has encouraged so many more women to come forward you know, women who are either agunot or who are afraid of being agunot, um, they now have a community right, to support each right. other. And many of them have gotten their gets as a, as a result, and they're very much not alone.
0: Right. In the process I, I'm so glad that you said that because that really brings it to yeah. what everybody can do, not just if you yeah. know someone, but what everybody can do. So I'm really, really glad you said that. And I'm so grateful for all the such, such important, such an important topic. And you've given us so much information. And so I'm looking forward to doing part... Well, it's actually me, to be part three with you.
1: Yeah, exciting. <laughs>
0: we have to get we have to get off this recording and we have to schedule it. Okay.
1: Okay. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely thanks for doing this. Thank you. Okay.
1: Thanks, Lisa.
0: Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.